Welcome to the Rotor Revolution RC Podcast with Brian Birdsong, Alex Dean, Kenny Hutton, and Nick Wisdom. Welcome to the Rotor Revolution. This is episode eight. I'm your host, Nick, and we got the full crew this week. Welcome back, Mr. Brian Birdsong. What's up, everybody? Happy What's to going have on, back, Brian? Dude. Yeah, man, big time. Uh, so yeah, full crew this week. Um, I also want to kind of before we get into some recaps here, what we've been up to. Just want to give a big shout out to a lot of new subscribers that came on uh, in the last few weeks. Our hat competition, where y'all have been sharing uh, the podcast all over the place, written reviews, all kinds of good stuff, was a big boost. Having Burn on, I'm sure, helped. But we've had a big jump in subscribers lately and listeners. So I just want to take a quick moment to welcome all of the new listeners who've come and found our podcast. We certainly appreciate uh, all of you. Uh, with that, let's... Uh, Let's get into some uh, some recaps here. Brian, you want to go first? Here's tell us uh, what you've been up to since we haven't seen you in a bit. Yeah. So uh, what is going on, everybody? Yes. Uh, life has been crazy for me as of late. Um, so, I, you know, I started a new job here working with a new company uh, back in November. Been working pretty hard with those guys and uh, so hard that it's paying off that I'm, I've been promoted to the next role, the next level. Which is Wait, pretty is this cool. at your new place you just started? This is at my nice. new place I just started. Like you know, they, two weeks ago, they recognized the value. Yeah, right. Nice. It feels like two weeks ago, but uh, but no, man, it was it was uh, very cool. My my supervisor called me up and said, "Man, everyone is loving you. We want to promote you." So I was like, "All right, cool." So been doing that with the job. Um, been handling a lot of personal stuff with my mom. You know, her health is really declining. So I've decided to move in with her to help care for her and things like that. Um, so I've been here at her home for about a month. Yeah, this I is really, why really you haven't miss. been on lately, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 been tough. Uh, but I've been, you know, working with her doctors and you know, some of the social services to try and make some uh some things happen. Um, behind the scenes here so uh, it's kind of starting to flatline out which is pretty cool but uh but yeah but mom's hanging in there she's maintaining you know i'm here to maintain and so you know which is the best but uh yeah man we're uh we're very glad to have you back thank you thank you yeah i'm glad to be back too you know i really missed the hobby man i really do and uh, i miss building i miss wrenching i miss flying you know the weather Hasn't been that great down here in the Southeast and uh, it's been really cold and windy or rainy. You know, it, it's like gorgeous weekdays, but then the weekend it rains. <laughs> and it's just ugly. You can't even get outside. So, but, uh, but at last I, I spoke to you guys, I, uh, I was in the middle of purchasing one of the Align T, uh, TP40s and uh, that was kind of at the beginning of January. Um, and I was waiting for that second batch to be released and, you know, I found out that, oh, the second batch is not coming until like the beginning of February. And I was like, man, I don't want to wait that long. So kind of got a refund on that and went ahead and purchased the Goose Sky RS4 Venom. Well, you know, living here with mom, I converted one of the rooms to a hobby room, bought me a table, had my wife bring some of my tools down. Of course. And Yes. <laughs> And uh, started building this RS4, and I tell you guys, this helicopter is great. So it's a small, it's a small helicopter, right? And I don't, 
like I've always said, oh, I'm not into small helicopters, but like I said, I really want a nice bird that I can, you know, just fly up in the front yard. I just a small field to learn some, you know, some, some orientations, et cetera, et cetera with it. And, uh, and it's one of those birds to do that. A 400 size is probably the perfect size for me to learn off of. Well, building this guy has just been a fantastic process. When I tell you like the, it, it's very low part count with this guy. It builds really quick. It builds very, like, it aligns perfect as you put each section and component together, right? The frames, I mean, it's just like, wow, this is butter, you know? And I felt like, um, like you know, this is a perfect, like, beginner kit to take on. So if you're, if you're you know, a beginner in the hobby and you've bought, like, the almost ready-to-fly version of a bird, you know, or, you know, an RTF uh, ready-to-fly kit, Try this guy as your first buildable kit. Uh, really easy to build. It's fun to build. It's quick. I mean, I had this thing built in like, you know, a few hours, really. I mean, it was fast. I guess not having like the main gear there and everything saves a little bit of the extra assembly process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it has the uh, the big motor in there, which made it pretty simple um the the guide the manual to put this thing together the instructions pretty decent pretty good you know it's easy to follow um you know point here to put this there and point here to put that there and it it built problem i didn't have any issues at all the only issue i did have now i will say this if you do purchase this kit right so so goose guy has their own um esc and fbl um that they suggest that you install in in all of their their birds um, I have, I didn't do that though. So I had a, you know, I got my CGY 760, of course, as my FBL and, uh, which is Futaba. And then I have a hobby wing, uh, 60 amp, um, ESC that I installed, which is perfectly fine to do that. But what you, what you get though, you gotta have this, uh, this motor connector, right. That you kind of install or solder onto the motor wires of your ESC. Um, in order to hook into the kind of the pre-installed connector of the motor, um, which isn't a problem, but it that's a small piece. And and the connectors are kind of built into that plastic. And as I was soldering the uh, the wires to those um, ends, those those leads there, it melted them. I mean, I melted the plastic a little bit, and I was like, "Holy shit, it's too hot!" Right? And well, the so outer sheathing of the, the wire cape melted. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I had the, 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 uh, the connector and the bullet kind of, you know, drooped down a little bit. And so it was misaligned to not plug into the motor. And I was like, oh man, I didn't like ruin this thing. So what I wind up doing is just kind of heating up that plastic sheave again and then just straightening it out and letting it kind of, you know, cool off back into place. And then I just, uh, was, you know, doing this quick touch and go, so to speak, right? Where I would just heat it up real quick, drop some solder on it, get off of it. And that seemed to work for all three of those. And uh, and then you know, I tugged on it a little bit. So I think it got a good connection. Um, I don't think it gets too hot in flight to, you know, kind of melt away. Uh, but we'll see. I haven't made it yet. But uh, I did uh, connect it up with the battery and all that good stuff. And everything seems to work properly. But that was my only tough part about the build is just kind of getting that motor connector uh, installed on there. So when uh, when you soldered it, were you plugged into the motor connection? 
plugged into the motor connection. So the connector you're soldering to the ESC was yeah. it plugged mm. into the motor? No, no. Because that's no, a good way sometimes to avoid that problem where the, the plastic melts and the pins drift. Yeah. Plug it yeah. into the other side of the connection and it acts as kind of a heat sink and it helps keep the pins aligned. Yeah, I mean, the problem was, you know, I was using like little, you know, my little solder arms to help me hold it in place. Because golly, you need like four hands, I swear, to do this thing, man. And <laughs> it's uh, a little connector. <laughs> they are little. I even had my wife come in and help me out too. I was like, babe, as I hold this right here, you just, you know, touch this part right here, this part right here. And she was like, oh my God, I'm nervous. <laughs> it was so funny <laughs> her working with me on that. <laughs> but she was actually able to help me out and get that done, so. But no, I mean, I got it together and, uh, you know, again, got the electronics set up with the radio and uh, just kind of bench tested here. Got my RPMs in there and all that good stuff and uh, ready to strap the blades on, take it out and fly. I just haven't had decent weather to go out and do anything with it yet. But I mean, that's, you know, that's been my crazy one month of just, you know, getting through things and getting back into um, wrenching here at mom's house. So that was me. Nice, nice, nice. Well, uh, I got some thoughts on the RS4 to share as well, but uh, who wants to go next first? I would like to contrast with what with what Brian just said. Oh, what, what do you got, Alex? The weather here has been ridiculously fantastic for the past two weeks, and I have flown more than I have ever flown before. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> I'm just letting that sink in. <laughs> We're just letting it sink in. So... Two week, two weeks ago, right last week. Uh, it, today is February sixth, and we are having like low wind, sixty degree weather, and I flew four days in a row. We'll remind you of this in a July or August. Yeah, I don't want to hear it yeah, in right. July or August. I want to talk about it now. <laughs> and so it has been just absolutely amazing. I flew today for probably four hours. So today, Tuesday, I flew on Sunday. I flew on Friday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, and Sunday. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I've never spent this much time in the hobby because I'm addicted, but uh, my 600 size nitro machine is finally working so good. What? Yeah. How many consecutive flights on a one-way bearing? 30. Probably Whoa. 30. <laughs> that is a record one day I went out by that's 27. the only thing I brought. Yeah, I know. I know. Now he's just going to be replacing a worn out like every two or three weeks. Yeah, because I have hundreds of flights on it. <laughs> no. Uh, one of the days that I went out, that was the only machine I brought. And with those mini servos, they just don't draw that much current. And so I just never unplugged it. I literally just refueled and flew and refueled and flew and refueled and flew. I probably got... I lost count, 10 to 15 flights in just a couple of hours. So, oh, nice. It was really cool. But that's awesome, man. Yeah, it felt good to have that going, especially after all the problems I've had. So, I am happy that's working. And one of the cool things that, you know, uh, in the last episode, Bert kind of told us, you know, when you, when you fly a lot, you get in tune with a model if you fly the same model a lot. So, I've only been flying pretty much that and my electric raw and it's the first time that i've i i, I want to say I, it feels good because i can actually feel the model it's really strange having flown this much in a row where you can actually you actually really do feel in tune with it it's not like 
you have to get some warm up flights when you get out there. You're just back at feeling like you did the last time. It was really neat. You've, you've become one with the model. Yes, that's awesome. We could, <laughs> I could, I could write a song about it right now. Um, but it's really, it's cool. And there's some times where I've been flying, and I, I personally, I personally think seeing new maneuvers and things come together is part of the reward of being in the hobby. And there's times where you feel very stagnant and it's, it's crazy how wave it's like these waves that come where you feel like if you're, if you've ever been at the gym, they talk about making gains and you'll have these plateaus and then something will happen and you'll, you'll, you'll go forward. And that's what I feel like is happening right now. I've had some, a wave of wonderfulness come on. So I hope that I don't feel stagnant in the next coming months, but very cool to get some time in like that. I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. We're uh, as much as we joke about being jealous as hell. We're happy for you. No, it's been, absolutely. I wanted to celebrate it. I knew that. I, I knew that you guys, like Nick's, been traveling and with Brian with what you've been dealing with, and uh, I know that Kenny hasn't flown as much as I have. So no, I wanted to celebrate. Yeah, I wanted to celebrate it, not just make you guys jealous, but. Uh, even and then between there, I'm still getting on the sim because I'm like newly energized about doing everything. So in the evening, I was I've been jumping on next, and uh, I'll either open a room on my own, and sometimes I just sim by myself if someone joins me. Great, but lately, uh, Enzo and Jason, uh, who are friends from outside the hobby or this hobby, and not in the same state, have been on their simming together sometimes, and it's been fun flying with them. And Jason, I had said something to him about how, you know, you're doing really good, dude. Just trying to give him some encouragement. And he sent me the nicest freaking Facebook message saying, hey, encouragement helps because he went out and kind of just flew like he knew he could. And it was cool to hear that feedback of, hey, having someone give you encouragement really does help. And just remember that when you're out with your buddies. That's all about that. Very cool. Love it. So. I've also been uh, kind of playing with, I put the Mikado Evo fly wireless unit away for a little bit. I got kind of frustrated when I was constantly changing refresh rates and things like that. But now I'm flying this Evo on my Nitro and on my electric and I'm freaking loving that thing and feel super connected with it. Uh, so much so that when I flew my other backup electric that has the the Neo on it, it felt kind of weird. Not as fast. The Evo is faster. But I've just been really enjoying it. So super happy with that. Interesting. And then um, Carrie Shirley had sent us a new muffler to test for a gas powered machine. And I got I made a little video about that. Um, but I've hadn't flown my gasser in I don't know, a couple of months for no reason other than I was just busy playing with lots of different things. Um, and I forgot how fun it is. So yeah. I'm excited about it. I have a uh, quick draw pipe that I'd sent off to get coated that just came back that looks sharp. I'll be putting a picture of that up soon. And uh, Devin has a new quick draw pipe too that he'll be showing off at RCHO. So as Doug would say, be prepared to be amazed. And it's going to sound so good with the quick draw pipe on there. And if you don't like, if you don't like the sound of the gaster with the quick draw pipe, you're probably just a pussy or maybe a planker. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well call me a pussy <laughs> i know that's right i'm about to say the same thing oh my goodness 
That thing. Oh, oh man. To each their own. I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, it's it's fun. I think everything in the hobby is fun. So I, I have been a little kid in a candy store enjoying myself lately. Ah, it's awesome. Man, I'm jealous, awesome. but yeah. it's also motivating hearing your posts about going flying all day. I'm like, oh man, I gotta I know, get out there. I know. I want to go. Dude, through. I feel ridiculous. I'm definitely not putting in uh, work like I should be at work, but um, you know, there'll be days for that soon. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to crank out the work on the on the rainy days. Exactly. Yeah. Today was just unusually nice. Here, it was almost zero wind and sixty or maybe seventy. And the rest of the week is like shot. It's going to be 17 mile an hour winds. So I had to I do feel it. like all your employees must wake up and it's writing. They're like, oh, geez, it's going to be an Alex cranking at work day. going to be here. <laughs> I, I, I got in early and like cranked everything out that I could and like maybe made everyone else anxious because there was so much to do. <laughs> so <laughs> Hopefully they didn't feel that, but that was not on purpose. Cool. Right on. Well, I think uh, I'm going to jump in next. So lots more work travel for me. I uh, was in Dallas. Now I'm in Orlando. So I have not flown since last week. So no fly for me. Uh, but more on that in a second that I'm excited about. But uh, what have I been up to? So I was home for one day. Uh, I got home Friday night of last week. And Saturday morning, I got up at 530. This is the stupidity this hobby does for us. And I drove to Sean Kay's house to pick up a box that had been shipped there uh, and then rushed back to my house before the kids got up so I could be there and see the kids who I hadn't seen in like two weeks. Um, <laughs> and then hung out all day and did kids sports and all the family stuff. And then somewhere around 10 o'clock at night when all the kids were asleep, I went back to my workshop and the fine folks at Tron, uh, Joachim and Dario and Ricky had uh, sent us over a box with uh, the new schemes for the dynamic. So there's two new fusion schemes coming out for it uh, this year. Uh, one is a pink and white canopy scheme. So it's a, it's a gloss painted canopy. So super shiny, really pretty uh, with a painted fusion boom. So the booms match the canopy. There's a pink and white one. And then I have the blue and pink one. Uh, and then the booms come in either blue and white or pink and white, and they're painted, not decaled, which is great because we're all tired of certain decals fading in the sun and the color, you know, leaving the boom very quickly. So uh, glad to see them painted. And then a fully painted carbon fin. So instead of stickers on the fin, now it's fully painted uh, with both canopies. It's a pink one. Anyway, so I had to get that built and then film some quick content and take some pictures on it uh, for Tron. So that's what I spent my one night at home doing and then went to bed around like midnight uh, and then flew out the next morning. Um, when I first saw this new scheme, I really hated it. And now I love it. It's funny how stuff like that grows on you. It is funny. And I initially really wanted to build the pink and white version. And I'm glad I ended up with the blue and pink because it's yeah, totally like it. grown on me, uh, especially out in the sun. I will tell you that the pictures and video don't do it justice at all. Like in person in the sun, it looks amazing. Kenny, what colors, what, what did you say it looked like? <laughs> it's like Mylanta and Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> I don't think it's like ugly, but it's it's not my colors, but it definitely reminds me of that. <laughs> I didn't, uh, now, once you said it, I was like, no, I can't unsee it. It just can't such. be unseen now. Everybody yeah. who hears this sees it. <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can help with that. So I, I was calling Sean's, the pink and white one, the pink panther version. Uh, oh, and yeah. I built, yeah, I built the blue and pink one, which is the Miami Vice edition. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly absolutely. what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, 
But uh, so that was that. Uh, and also somewhere in that time when I was home for a day, I decided uh, I wanted to build something. I, I missed wrenching and had been a few weeks with work travel. So I had a Goose Guy RS4 in the box. So I did the review on the TB40 uh, for Heli Direct. And then I was like, oh, I really like 380s. I could keep the TB40. But I really want to try another one, and I hear great things about the Goose Guy R4. So I sent the TB40 back, ordered a Goose Guy RS4, and I had that. And I started building that in my hotel room two nights ago, and uh, I finished it in two nights. So I don't know, nice. six hours total build time, maybe. Uh, so you and Brian uh, were building them kind of at the same time. Yeah, he was a little ahead of me, and then I kind of overtook him uh, somewhere in there. Uh, mine is fully set up and ready to fly. Like in six hours, it was done, built, and set up on a Neo Evo. And man, what a pleasure to build that kit. It just goes together, like Brian said, like butter. Everything self-aligns. There was nothing I was fussing with. I didn't need any extra weird tools to retap something or file something or massage it to make it fit. It's got way more tail throw than the TB40. Uh, which was nice because the numbers on the TB40 tail throw were really low, and they're twice that on the RS4. Resolution uh, nice. Yeah, resolution is Lots nice. Of, I, I mean, I, had to I haven't mine. flown it yet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I haven't flown it yet, so I'll be cautious about what I say about it until I fly it, but if you're strictly comparing the build portion of the TB40 versus the Goose Guy RS4, hands down RS4 two times over the TB40. Like the TB40 build was fine, and it's a good helicopter, but there was a lot of massaging and just gently working things and you know, trying to get bearings out of the head and tail was a little fussy. Like Everything goes together as it should on the RS4. It was just kind of a joy to build. So, uh, And that's the RS4 Venom, by the way. Um, so I was super psyched about getting that done, and then right around the same time I finished it, uh, I have two projects in a row here in Orlando, and the second project reached out and said, hey... We don't need you on Thursday. All you need to do is get yourself to the hotel. I was like, oh, well, shoot. I'm in Orlando. I can find a way to get the torches, even if I have to just get in an Uber. And I was like, who can fly Thursday in Orlando at torches? Who should I hit up? And I was like, duh, the two retired guys. So instantly messaged Mr. <laughs> Mr. Steve Shaw and Patrick Mock, uh, two great dudes who fly at torches, and was like, hey, what are you doing on Thursday? You want to go fly? And they were like, uh, yeah. So uh, we're going flying on Thursday over at Torches. So all I have with oh, me is cool. the RS4 and three packs, and they're bringing generators, and uh, we're going to go have a ball and fly all day. Um, so you brought so your Thursday radio, I, was, I did. I brought my uh, V-Control uh, so I could do the setup. Uh, and also in case I got lucky and there was a big patch of grass next to the hotel. Alex will tell you, when I was in Dallas last week, there was this huge grass lawn behind the hotel, and I was kicking myself for not having a helicopter with me. So. This time I brought one just in case and built it, and now I'm super stoked to go fly on Thursday and see some good people. I think there's some other club members they said coming out. Not sure who's coming on Thursday, but uh, I don't know. Just looking forward to having a good time in Orlando. The weather's supposed to be 75 and not too windy and just a beautiful day. So nice. Super stoked for that. Uh, and that's uh, that's all I got for my update. So Kenny, what have you been doing? All right. I got the Tron 7 uh fixed and tested again after crashing and seems to fly awesome and more solid it seems like before that i crashed it it's not like vibrating or anything it really wasn't before but it's even more solid and stable and no drifting or anything and i was really impressed that it went to together where it's actually better than it was previously since i had it for two years 
Oh, I didn't realize you'd had that one that long. That same one? Yeah, I got it like as soon as they came out. So it's like an OG <laughs> original kit. But it's been great until I actually slammed it in. But I mean, it's actually smoother than it was before, I think. Just the newer parts. And, and I got the belt tension earlier. That's pretty nice. I don't hear any occasional slaps or anything like that. You know, there's no noise at all. Now, it seems a lot quieter. Even without the herringbone gear, I was surprised at the sound difference. Kind of quieted it down. I guess the belt noise was part of it maybe before also. Huh. Yeah. Probably. Interesting. So got a few flights on that and uh, helped a friend set up a um, S1 that he had just bought. And he was wanting to um, just mainly hover. And, you know, he does some flips and occasional slow TikTok stuff. He's not really a fast 3D flyer. So it was a little different going through the setup and just, you know, dragging all the sliders, getting it more to a stable point. And it actually, I was surprised at the S1 when you bring it down to those levels, how you know, how stable it is and how flat it stays and everything when you're flying it, you know, I was used to just flipping and everything really quick with it. So that was kind of cool. And other than that, I just did the, um, the 5.8 conversion to the dynamic and that took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. I, I didn't even realize when I started working on it the other day, I, I started like at four thirty in the afternoon. And then when I got 90% done, it was like, almost 10 p.m. I was like, holy, you know, I just spent all this time swapping all these parts. Yeah, but that's the story of working on a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, anyway. you lose track, yeah. dude, and you don't really rush yep. it. You know, I take my time. Like, I make sure everything's, you know, I hardly have any flight failures when I get something built because I just go over everything. You one-way bearings don't go out or anything like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, he uses the appropriate lubricant. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tiny dab, yeah. <laughs> I actually, you know, on this one, that's all I did. I didn't touch the, the sprag gear or anything. I just literally took a little bit of the clear grease and just spun the main shaft of my fingers. And that was all I did. Nothing like you couldn't see it just enough to make it, you know, have something on it. Yeah. Top to bottom for the swash too, you know, but yeah, I got that done. And, um, today I was able to actually put the tail rod on cause I had to let that dry overnight and, uh, do the final linkages up top. You know, I had to actually change. I went through the whole list of, um, conversion stuff and john hamill had posted that on heli freak before and i had saved a list and i went back over it again when i got all the parts and it took about really you don't need the whole list that he has there's about nine or ten parts you don't need um like i left the 5.8 landing gear on there which you could upgrade them because they're they're just beefier on the the 7.0 version for the nitron uh, and the tail fin it's about maybe three quarters of an inch taller for the nitrons, but you can get away with either one of them. So those two parts are still on the, um, the dynamic right now. Um, but the main gear belt, boom, auto rotation gear, the little rings around the auto rotation gear, uh, the grips, feathering shaft. What else do I have to change? It's not really a ton. Once you scale some of the parts you don't need, like, Listed, he had some, like, the linkages up top. You, you can actually use the ones that are on it. They only go out a few millimeters to extend for the higher head. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. But there's, you know, 15, 20 parts you have to swap out. But it just took a decent amount of time. Mainly was the changing the head block parts and tail gear parts that took the most time. Flying it, though, it was uh, awesome. I mean, I've got the Tron 7 and the Nitron stuff. But for an electric, mine's a 12S, 45 or 4030, I think is what that is, when it's a 12S uh, 525. I think it's the motor, Xnova. Well, that thing is like 
insane powerful. Like you don't even, you know, I'm running at like 60 or 70% throttle, just kind of testing it out. And you could go up and down as fast as you, you know, any, anything you wanted to do crazy speed, but it also was super tame, you know, turning the throttle down and just cruising around with it while I was breaking in again, in again and testing. It was pretty crazy. It's, it's a whole different feeling versus your full size. 700 you know but there's no it's still very rigid where i've seen some of the other ones like the puma and them you know have a lot more frame flop in them i guess because the design kind of a little more shaky left to right where this is super rigid feeling so it's really different i agree man i feel like if i'm doing rainbows for example on my puma at low head speed and maybe this is just a lack of fly bar tuning skill but on the stops i felt like the puma would just bobble and, and kind of bounce around in a way that the dynamic does not it That's feels it's it's sixteen hundred RPM. The 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 dynamic hands down flies way better than the Puma at the same RPM. For me, That's probably about what I was testing this at. And I just was I was amazed because you can change direction. I was going up and down on purpose doing hundred foot climbs and drops just to kill the battery and see how long it lasted. I got six minutes of you know full up and down pitch hundred foot climbs and drops before it even got close to you know three point seven volts or so and. <laughs> It was crazy Wait, you, how fast you can go up and down with that thing. You, you managed like to just scary. pogo a hundred feet either way for six minutes. <laughs> I did. Well, I was doing, it was getting dark. I was flying like at seven. <laughs> you couldn't hardly see. Oh, it. it's really late here. So I was yeah, like, if right I fly now. around you, I couldn't see anything hardly. I was just doing a, like a silhouette flight. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but, but this I was able to at least this time a year, that's what to kill the battery. That's what the 580 nitro is for is those type of, those type of. <laughs> It's cool though. I, mean, awesome. I can't wait to actually get a good, you know, outside daytime flight on it, but it's faster than anything I've owned as far as directional change. I can say that. Yeah. I did not like your message about how you're going to sell one to me, essentially. You need, you need one now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I You'll feel like, like it. We need it's, to... it's pretty awesome. Dislike. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a new machine. Yeah. Yeah. Take, we need to take a solid hell you have and shave a couple pounds off, and that's what it'll feel like. It's crazy. Uh, I, 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 I flew the Kraken back to back with the Raw during this time that I had all this time to fly, and just between those two models, feeling the weight difference was huge. So I have no doubt yeah, that dynamic like that. is awesome. Yeah, I had those two at the same time also, and you can definitely yeah, it's a major difference with the side bodies on the Kraken versus the Raw. Listening to further episodes of the Rotor Revolution may and probably will make you purchase a dynamic. We are not responsible for any bank withdrawals, credit card charges, or affirmed payments. Yes, we need we need more disclaimers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think that's about it for me. Right on. Well, good weeks all around. Sounds good, man. Let's uh let's maybe do some news. Now, with all the news from inside the RC helicopter hobby, we bring you the Rotor Report. Alrighty, this week in the Rotor Report, we have a lot to get through, so not going to beat around the bush. We're going to jump right to it. Alex, what you got? Well, Mikado has released their own aluminum cases for the Evo uh, Neo whatever you want to call it, in a variety of different 
Skittles or whatever colors you want to call those, and they should be available soon. Also, Scorpion Power Systems has announced uh, details on the new Tribunus 3 ESC they're coming out with. So it's super exciting to see new innovations in the ESC space. Uh, these are new, newly designed. And if you're familiar with the Scorpion ESC uh, of the past, they had the capacitors kind of exposed. And the new ones are now enclosed. So if you crash, you don't have the risk of nicking one of those capacitors or squeezing it. I've, I've done that with one of those. So nice to see that. The design is also, if you haven't looked these up yet, I recommend looking at them. They're gold and black and they're just really good looking things. So right now they have only released two of them. There is a 110 amp and a 160 amp new variants available. Both of them are one to six S. So we're only seeing up to six S with these, uh, but they do have the higher BEC rating up to 12 volts. And the 110, they say, is up good good for like a 500-size helicopter. And the 160, they list as up for the 700-size machine. So like your Dynamic or Puma or anything like that that's a 6S 700. Yeah, I'm sure they're coming out with the uh, like a larger 12S later, but I was surprised that they didn't release one with this since they already had the 6S one. You know, I'm like a 6S and a 12S yeah. at this time, but I'm, I'm yeah. sure it's coming. Yeah. Well, the nice yeah. thing about these is that it keeps the weight down. Like 155 yeah, grams. Model slightly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't go six to eight S um, to kind of capture that. Yeah. For dynamic. like this light. Yeah. We don't know what's light coming. 700 I feel like they're pretty aware of what the market is asking for. That's a very good point. But these keep the weight super low. This is 155 grams. The, the current 200 amp is 225 grams. So that's how much. That's, that's great. Quite a bit of weight, half a pound. No, not quite half a pound, but it's quite a bit. So, looking forward to see what comes out. The one sixty is priced at two hundred eighty nine dollars, and the hundred and ten for now is one hundred hundred eighty nine dollars. Nice, right on. Look forward to seeing what other sizes they release uh, as time goes by because they're definitely not for done. sure. Yeah. All right, Tron Helicopters has announced a new U.S. team manager as the brand continues to grow. So BK Hobbies pilot Kevin McGrady has been announced to manage the team in the United States. Uh, and Tron also announced that uh, HeliDirect pilot Marcus Kim will be joining the Tron Helicopter team as well. So congratulations uh, to you both. All right, big news on the Nitro engine front. So this started as rumors and we were working really hard to try and confirm them, and there were lots of messages going around. Like, if you heard, is this true? And then, boom, in the space of a couple of days, we heard from both RC Japan and A-Main and others to say it's true. The popular OS 91 speed is back, or at least it will be very soon. So OS has decided to listen to popular demand and bring back the 91. So we're starting to see pre-orders open up now with a guesstimated release date of sometime in March. So in the United States, A-Main Hobbies has them currently on pre-order for $450. US uh, They did have a placeholder price in there of $650, but $450 is the confirmed uh, price. Uh, and But if, like many of us, you happen to order your engines from RC Japan with the conversion from yen, it looks like they're going to come in at $378 US plus shipping. Obviously, the ship time from uh, A-Main will probably be a lot less. I expect HeliDirect to likely have them as well, but haven't been able to get confirmation on that yet. But uh, fans of the OS 91, uh, you you don't have to wait much longer before you'll see them and uh, replacement parts uh, back in stock at your favorite dealer. 
Yeah, I think I might have to get one of these. Can have you yeah. flown one of these before? There's a huge amount of chatter about this, but I know nothing about this thing. Just 91s. If it's the true speed, they had a different crank. Uh, I don't know if the stroke was different. I think it might be, but the crank was a little bit modified too to give it a little more power. So it's kind of a tad better than a standard 91, but this also has the 61G carburetor, which is the carburetor off the 105, which is a few millimeters bigger in diameter and ovalized. You know, if you ever look in the center of a 91 carb, they're a circle and they're smaller. So you get more power than a standard 91 regardless. And it's close to 105 power, maybe with a tad less torque. If that would not fly a 105. Yeah. On, on, on like a Tron 90 or something super light, you know, it's going to be plenty. The 91 I'm running now is plenty. Why would you choose this over a 105 is my question. The choice for me is smoothness. Like the 105 has a tad more vibration on takeoff and, you know, just transitioning from mid to full throttle. And these are, it's like the difference between the um, 120 YS that people say vibrates versus like the 96 or the 91. You know, you can actually see the difference on the 91s. Okay. And you use a tad less fuel most of the time you use on the 91, just a little bit, like a 15%, I would say. I've heard some folks in my research on this say that uses a lot less fuel than the 105. Um, yeah, you'll get, I'd say you get a minute and a half or longer flight time. Yeah, that's significant. Alex, I feel like we're going to get ago one veed which is a verb I'm using to mean, we're going to be like, no, nah, I don't need this. And then we're going to think about it. Then we're going to see more people post about ordering one, more people post about my being excited is about pipes, one. Like, I guess that's they're going to bring out some more 91 pipes, but I, I like right now I'm using a 105 pipe. All you do is run the long bolt through the motor just the same and use a 105 pipe and they still run great. Yeah. Alex and I are going to say no, and then I bet in two weeks we're going to be here confessing to say we pre-ordered one. <laughs> I, yeah. I hope that you're wrong. <laughs> I do too, because I, I don't need one at all. They sound great. I'm glad folks are excited, but I don't need one. Nope. But we know how this goes. <laughs> all right. Brian, save me from pre-ordering an engine. Go ahead. Oh, uh, Okay. Well, you guys have seen a lot of chatter around Facebook. If you are members of any of the Futaba groups there, um, that the CGY760 has been discontinued. Uh, there's some some truth to that. Um, if you go to Futaba Japan's website under their product section there, you'll see that production has been discontinued for the CGY760. And so, you know, kind of ask around about this. And, you know, if you go to Futaba USA's website, you'll still see that it's available here in the U.S. market. But we believe that there's an update coming, right? Will will they call it the CGY770? Who knows? You know, that's just speculation right now. But there, there apparently is an update coming soon, which probably should be available sometime in spring. Um, but I think that this is to kind of coexist with the new 32MZ World Championship Edition transmitter, right? So that's coming out here soon as well. Futaba Japan released this um, uh, recently uh, to kind of commemorate the 2023 FAI F3A and F3C World Championships in which they took first place. And so, you know, kudos to Japan for you know, kicking butt and taking names there in both of those disciplines. But, um, you know, this update to the transmitter will change a few things. Uh, it's a like a premium dark brown case now. 
you know, I was asking a question. I said, man, I wonder if they fix the paint from smearing and kind of disappearing off the bottom corner. So if you look at the bottom corner of that uh, transmitter, it says, you know, T32MZ. But where your thumb rests on the transmitter, you tend to rub that off. And so it just rubs off. So I've heard rumors that they may uh, kind of laser etch uh, etch that in there. So we won't be able to rub that off going on uh, in the future for this particular version. Is it kind of like the, radio, the numbers so. rub off on the 16IZs? Like the, yeah. the stick stick uh, labels? Absolutely. Exactly. So they're going to kind of When I first got my Futaba... I thought that like that was a problem, but then there, it really isn't a problem on Futaba because when you go to select a switch selection in there in your menus, it actually shows the name of each switch there and you can just tap that and, you know, it shows which switch it is even. So really, you don't even, they shouldn't even put the labels on there, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's cosmetic for sure. I mean, the, the electronic screen section, the menu item, like you said, will show the exact label name and all that good stuff for each one of those switches. So you don't necessarily need it, but. I don't know. Yeah, it's some nice people, if it's more Some people find like it funny, sure. right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, as my OCD kicks in, it's like, Ugh. so you know what I did? I took a, a vinyl printer and, and, and printed that exact label and just kind of stuck it down there so I don't really rub it away. But, you know, that's what I did. But anyway, um, so yeah, so the, you know, got some features to this new transmitter now. Um, they, they've went from the uh, 18 channels up to 36 channels now with their fast tests. Um, communication system or the protocol that they use within there. Um, there's also a new lightweight LiPo battery that's used in the transmitter now, which is pretty cool. Um, and they've improved kind of their their server, the servo balancer to match um, the programming box in the GBB1 system itself too. So, you know, if you, if you go into that little programming box to um, align your servo, there's a lot of programmatical I guess, features for each servo in there. And they, I guess they've transferred all of that functionality over into the radio so you can do it just from the back of the transmitter itself now. So that's pretty cool. And, oh, and now so it comes with a dual transmitter case now instead of the single transmitter case that it uh, previously came with. So that's pretty cool as well. Pricing on the the website is showing about uh, 319,000 yen, which equates to about a little bit over 2,100 us dollars which is a great price for the 32mz because here in the states today it runs about three grand so i wonder that, if that, that yen also converts true. to like 591 os uh speeds Five. <laughs> okay yep <laughs> 319 000 yen is like five OS. i'm just doing the os yeah, speed I, <laughs> there you go okay <laughs> But uh, but no, man, I wonder if that price would hold true, though, when it comes to the U.S. So and and, and again, word on the street is that uh, these new systems should be available probably in, in various world markets, including the U.S. in the spring. So looking forward to that. I mean, I may just uh, grab another 32MZ and this new CGY that comes out. So nice. Can't wait. Wow. Can't wait. I hope the CJY is actually like a newer updated model. They didn't do like the 16IZ where they just add an S to it. You know, like small update. Right. Yeah. 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 No, this, this should have some new functionality in there. You know, there was, you know, some, some speculation of, of drifting issues uh, that some people were experiencing that, that were thinking that they have probably corrected in this guy. And, and again, some of the other functionality of the CGY needs to match this newer functionality that the radio can put out too. So you'll probably True, see changes yeah. like that. Yeah. 
Nothing says baller like rolling up to the field with a two transmitter case with two 32MZs in it. <laughs> <laughs> the retired one and the new one? Is that what it's going to be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brian, you're going to need giant oh, gold chains around your neck. <laughs> uh, I'm going to need a security guard with me. <laughs> a 64MZ. <laughs> right? I know. There's a reason all my two transmitter cases are Spectrum branded ones because they're like, you know, theft protection. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just put a few Turnigy stickers on the side. <laughs> before all you haters hit me up i like spectrum transmitters i own one as well (laughs) oh yeah well cool all right so i got a uh i got a pile of omp news yeah i'm excited Um, for this there's cool stuff here it's deep yeah so i mean this is news as of now and hopefully most of it is accurate or somewhat accurate and correct uh so jonas uh wacker schauser the uh, omp designer of the, uh, he also does like the um, Rudder Tech blades and various other items. If you look up his past, has released a video detailing the features of the new OMP M7 kit. Uh, first, it'll be available with four canopy colors: a lemon lime color, a watermelon type of color, orange blue, and a golden blue color. So four different uh, ones to choose from. The kits will include both a carbon boom as well as a matching color aluminum boom which is a bit heavier, but you also get the, uh, you know, the, the aesthetics and maybe you don't want to trash your carbon boom right off the bat. I guess some people prefer the colored boom since that's been a trend in the past year or two. Um, you can choose either one to put on. I guess they're both the same, you know, specs and everything as far as dimensions. Uh, it comes visibility with, too. Yeah. That's, I mean, even like the, what is it? The, um, the new uh, Nitro, you know, XL Powers thing comes with, two, doesn't it come with like a colored boom also? Or is that a wrap somebody was putting on those? I've been seeing that. I th- I think those are optionally available. I could be wrong, but that lime green okay, boom. Yeah, that adds a little Nitro bit of color too. Hot. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So this, uh, the M7 comes with standard rubber dampeners in the head and you can um, get palm uh, dampener option also available. And uh, there's two options for the blade grip arms suited for uh, 3D or F3C, different lengths. Oversized balls on the swash. It has a self-aligning um, plastic washer or spacers that go into the uh, blade grips to remove the blades so that they stay in place. And I'm, I'm guessing very cool. those may remove. Do those remove? Maybe yeah. I didn't remember if they come out for certain thicknesses too. Um, and there, I think they include two varieties: one for each, like yeah, one two, millimeter or two millimeter that, spacers. Yeah. But what I like is you can remove a blade and they stay put. And then you just slide the blade in and drop your bolt through instead of playing that game where you're trying to align all the washers. Oh, that's cool. Yes, yeah, so you're not wiggling so them around. It's it's cool. They're retained the way they attach. So then there's a, a dampened fly barless mount, and it also includes a heavy weight, which was like a little square weight. You double sided tape, I believe, underneath of the uh, fly barless plate, and that's just for sensitive uh, fly barless units with certain gyros in them, like the Evo V1, I believe he mentioned, and a few others that could possibly. Ones that are more sensitive that might have, you know, higher vibration. So you can dampen the plate to reduce possible vibration that you were, you're experiencing. I'm thinking you'd want to try it first and then, you know, test that theory. Either way, you don't, I don't think you really need the plate if it's not doing anything. It has a machine palm main gear and a variety of pinions available for different gear ratios. And another cool thing was the, uh, it has a tool-free adjustable tail belt tensioner. So instead of just spring-loaded, it kind of presses on one of the idler pulleys and you have a knob on the side of the airframe that's um, attached into the molded side frame where you just kind of screw it in or out and you can 
adjust on the fly the uh, tail belt tension as you want. You can fly it and then snug it or loosen it, you know, for different, uh, if it's got flop or if it's just too tight either way. So that's kind of cool. And then last is the, uh, well, not last, but close, <laughs> molded from uh, all carbon fiber. And it's, I say that because it's slightly different. These are actually stacked carbon. There's not like layers of fiberglass in between. So it's fairly strong, probably stronger than any other lower side frames. The side frames themselves have the battery trays, r- rails are molded into the frame. So you have those less parts on the side with less bolts, which saves uh, weight and assembly and disassembly also. So it makes for a nice, strong, rigid lower bottom. The kit also comes with two battery trays, so you don't have to go and pick another one up. Um, It'll also be available in every color in these three configurations, and they're widely varying. So the first configuration is somewhat a plug-and-play, minus the servos. The kit comes with uh, Rotortech blades, and I think they may be the ultimates. A Sunny Sky motor, which they, I guess, developed for this particular helicopter, at least 700 size. OMP 300 amp ESC is included, which we haven't seen yet, but it's uh, been listed and should be available soon. And a V-Bar Neo Evo available also. And this is shown on Midland Helicopters in the UK is listed as 1699 British pounds or roughly 2100 US dollars. Uh, But don't quote us on that. The US pricing can sometimes differ. And then we have kit plus the blades with no electronics is 979 US dollars. And then we have the kit only for 899 US dollars. So I see, um, yeah, like uh, before comparing prices, remember you get two booms and two battery trays with the kit only, which it's some cases it might be on par with maybe SAB or others. And then maybe it's a little high compared to others too. But I think also you're getting a slightly different, you know, the production of this is slightly different with the lower molded frames, I think might play into this also. Not really sure. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Let, I want to pause here for a minute and kind of talk about this heli for a minute because there's some, I love little cool innovative features and a few things I want to shout out on this helicopter that I will definitely applaud OMP for. I love that they include two car- two booms, both a carbon boom and a painted boom. So depending on what you want to do, and they're already color matched to the canopies and in interesting combinations. I think that's awesome. I really like the oversized balls on the swash plate. I always feel like, you know, the ball links are so tiny it's such a weird thing to trust your helicopter and essentially life in a way too so yeah, i love that there's kind of giant this ball links on this thing we're kind of small yeah i've actually seen a lot of pictures of some of the tb70 ball links cracking by the way speaking of that oh yeah the plastic a lot of folks have actually yeah. been replacing them with sab ball links which happen to be the same size so i don't know if you have an online tb70 keep an eye on your ball links uh, or maybe consider replacing them uh, anyway i digress talking about the uh the omp so I love the the oversized ball links, the self-aligning spacers on the blade grips, you know, that stay in place uh, is awesome. The tool-free tailbait tensioner, you know, Jonah spent some time in the video talking about how if you if you fly in a climate where the weather changes often and you feel like your tailbelt tension is changing, it makes it really easy to just rotate it there at the field, no tools, and change your tailbait tension. So if that's something you do all the time, it might be something... Uh, that, that you want to consider. And I love that it comes with two battery trays because how many of us have bought a helicopter and not bought another battery tray for it? So yeah, I've done the same thing. And that tensioner thing, man, when I'm like flying, I, that's one of the things I always do before I fly. I reach in there and I actually push on my belt. And there's times, you know, sometimes you feel like, oh, maybe this needs a little bit more tension or even it's too tight. So I like the fact that you can do that on the fly because there's hot days where they actually are a little bit more loose or just depending on the weather too. Yeah, like you said. 
Yeah, I just I love when when people call like have small innovations, right? Helicopters all pretty yeah, much absolutely. any modern helicopter flies great. So these little details and small innovations to just make the user experience better are are cool. So good on you, uh, OMP, for that. Anybody else thinking about one of these or have interest? The guy am. or thoughts? I, I, I kind of like all the little fence. innovations. I really like the way it looks a lot. I think it looks fantastic. I'd re- I'd really like to see one in person. Yeah. There's been some fun videos from some of the team guys who have, you know, final production kits they're evaluating right now. Putting in some great flights at a variety of head speeds. Some good low head speed stuff on this helicopter. It seems to do well at low head speeds as well. But good stuff. But yeah, I've ar- we've already seen some posts of people like, well, it's it's the goose guy's less expensive or this or that. And and while that may be true, keep in mind you're getting two booms and two battery trays. And then very quickly that hundred dollar difference goes away. Yeah, I think cool. it's cool that they put in some time on the different layouts and the design on it, you know. Just having the different little features that they added and stuff like that, it might be a cool option as a, you know, a different so unique the, airframe. Uh, so a quick question too. So the blade grip arms, I mean, you you mentioned that they have them uh, for 3D or F3C. That comes in the kit as well? Two different sets? I think so. Oh, Don't wow. quote us. You mentioned them. Yeah, I'm not 100% yeah. sure, okay. but they're okay. definitely available either way for both of those. That's that that would be pretty cool, man. Would love to know too if there's like uh any landing gear that would kind of make the boom a bit more parallel to the ground for F3C purposes. Cause when we take off from hover, we like to go straight up. And if you're kind of angled forward, you, you have to bump the elevator a little bit to kind of get that, you know, straight up uh lift off the ground instead of it going forward a bit. But that's interesting. That they would even consider some around this, They F3C, also mentioned so. like they mentioned a kit plus motor combination, but I don't know if that's going to be a thing or not. It might only be these three combinations. I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Buddy RC, which is the U.S. distributor uh, where all the kits go first, only has on their website listed the kit by itself and the kit with blades. They don't have the combo listed, which is why we're using the Midland helicopters price in the U.K. So I, ha- I haven't seen any pre-orders for the, the combo in the United States. So we'll see. I mean, it's a lot. If all of these kits come in with different colors, that's a lot of shelf space. So four kits in four different colors with just the kit, four kits in four different colors with blades, four kits. Like, that is that's a lot. a lot of shelf space. So I don't know. Maybe it's being packaged in such a way where that's not a thing and they just add a box of blades or whatever. But uh, so who knows whether everybody's going to sell all the variations or some in, you know, some district places will only sell certain colors or I don't know. We'll see. I got another uh, little tidbit in the news. So BK Hobbies adds Bill Ann to the team roster. Oh, wait, th- this just in BK Hobbies has just lost their cameraman to film any of their flights somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what they're going to do. <laughs> congratulations Who's gonna oh, congratulations <laughs> yeah. Bill Ann yep, congratulations. the hobby the oh, hobby's lost man. a great content creator what are we gonna the do the hobby just oh, went yeah. dark because of you and no, I'm just kidding oh Bill <laughs> thanks Bert <laughs> <laughs> no that's great congrats to you Bill Ann that's awesome that's awesome good job Bill alrighty moving on Rotor Live is coming fast so for those of you that don't know, it's a combination of kind of a huge helicopter trade show for the RC Heli Hobby, as well as a 3D competition featuring some of the world's best pilots. Uh, last year, Nick Maxwell, Kenny Coe, and many other huge names were thrown down against each other in that competition. Uh, it's also where a lot of manufacturers go to release new helicopters, especially manufacturers based in Europe and many based in Asia. Uh, we heard Burt Kammerer last week mention SAB will be dropping something new at Rotor Live. 
and Tron has been hinting about it. Miniature Aircraft talked about it last year, you know, having some new helicopters to release Rotor Live. So I expect we're going to have some great news to share leading up to and after Rotor Live. And speaking of that, we're super psyched to announce that uh, the UK's Rob Bingham will be attending the show and is going to help us cover the event. So look for a Rotor Live episode with lots of features featuring Rob Bingham coming up uh, sometime after uh, Rotor Live in March. So give us some time to put that together. But uh, we're working really hard to gather as much news as we can uh, from all these manufacturers and uh, sharing what they've got new at Rotor Live. All right, moving on from there, it's time for this week's Rotor Rage. Let me tell you something, Nick, Kenny, Brian. I've been flying a lot. I've been on the sim a lot. I've been excited a lot. And I've been progressing. And I I think that's awesome. And I've been excited about that. And then I got on the sim and this this guy was like, he showed up just doing this ridiculous stuff. And I went, holy crap, I'm never going to be able to do that. And I started comparing myself to this guy. And I went, why am I doing that? The comparison thing in the hobby will just totally eat you up. So just a reminder for you guys out there, if you see someone with that new thing that you want or they're doing something that you want to do, comparison is, is, not, is not good. Just remember to have fun, enjoy the hobby, be happy, yes. stay flying. Yes, 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 100%. We're all guilty of that at Fun Flies, having a good flight or feeling good about yourself and then watching somebody throw down and being sad. Not even being sad, but just, I think every once in a while, it's nice to have some attention. Everyone likes attention from time to time. And when you feel like you did something to deserve it or whatever is in your own mind and you don't get it, then we get into that comparison space again. So. Right after that comparison, those where you hear a few people say, send it, and then someone goes up and flies super hard for (laughs) 1.5 minutes and straight into the ground. Okay, you're right. (laughs) Please continue to compare yourself so that we can get entertainment from your flight. Everybody else (laughs) but you, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's a good one, Kenny. I I didn't think about that. That's 100% what happens. Depends on whose perspective, right? (laughs) Yeah. we, we We need everyone at RCHO Chill Out to be comparing themselves to each other. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Yeah. Everybody's got to wear truck nuts. <laughs> Who has the bigger ones? <laughs> they need to pass it around. Oh, oh. That, that's the perfect place for that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Moving on from Rotor Rage to Rotor Replay. So this week. I want to shout out a completely different type of video, one that kind of speaks to me that I'm a big fan of. No, I'm not doing this to kiss my team manager's ass, I promise. Uh, Honestly, I want to shout out a recent video that Sean K did on the HeliDirect YouTube channel of the tour he took of the Goose Guy factory in China. So the video gives you kind of a behind the scenes look of their operation in China. You get to meet some of the key people involved. You see the manufacturing area, the assembly areas. Uh, you get to watch the guy that can 3D the hell out of every single S1 in this tiny little shoebox size room. He's like doing pyro flips and just throwing down with an S1 and that a 10 by 10 space. It's, it was it's, so it's funny amazing. when he goes, <laughs> wait, you fly every single one of those? You fly, you fly like this one. And it's like every one of them that comes yeah. out of the factory. And there's just racks and racks and racks of them that they, <laughs> he's like, and this one, and this one, and this one, uh, which is great. Uh, I love how Sean just went on and on like, wait, you flew all of these? (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, it's great because there's yeah, Sean's crazy. personality it's coming cool. out and yeah. his humor. And also you're getting to meet all these people and see the whole deal. Uh, you get to learn the meaning behind the Goose Guy name, which I'm not going to tell you. You got to watch the video. So I don't know. I, I love stories in the hobby, to be honest. Honestly, it's the reason that this podcast exists is because I like the stories behind the people, behind the manufacturers. So this video just kind of spoke to me. So getting a, a glimpse behind the curtain of an operation like Goose Guy was, was pretty awesome. So check it out if you're interested in, in where they come from and the, and the people that make them. It was a good video. I watched it twice. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah, it that was good. interesting. It was cool. You don't see behind the scenes of manufacturer helicopter uh, ever. I want more of that. So we're already in talks with some manufacturers to get them on the show. I want to talk to more of them. And we'd love to share your stories uh, and learn about the people behind the brands, regardless of brand, you know, all of you. So while we're still on Roto Replay, though, I want to give an honorable mention on Roto Replay to a guest host we've had on the show, Mr. Scott Graham. So he's got a new YouTube video series called This Verse That. So it's a new YouTube channel, and it features Scott going head-to-head with two matching Tron dynamics that basically he's going to change out the electronics on. So he's going to work with various flybarless units and radios, especially radios that feature integration with the flybar, and he's going to compare them. So at this point, there's just an introductory video on the channel, which you can check out. But essentially, he's every video he releases every few weeks, he's going to compare two fly wireless units and radios, and there'll be a winner of each week that he likes best that'll move on to the next round when he introduces a new radio and fly wireless combo. So the idea is, you know, further down the row of the series, you'll learn about what works, what doesn't, the features of the integration, um, you know, wins and losses and stuff like that. So uh, Scott's certainly really talented at taking apart a fly wireless unit. He's done some great podcast episodes over the years. Uh, you know, giving detailed instructions on fly wireless units. So I expect the video series to be a great thing. So definitely check that out. It's called This Versus That. It's a little hard to find on YouTube when you search This Versus That because there's 12,000 This Versus That's on YouTube. Um, but there's links to it in most of the major Facebook groups as well. So you can check those out there. I watched the video. I thought it was incredible. Good job, Scott. Can't wait to see the other Yeah, ones. I'm excited. I'm excited. Although the production quality in. is also super high. Looks awesome. Zoom, zoom got to get off to a good start. The camera's too far away. Okay, I'm done. Oh, um, was it? Love you, Scott. <laughs> uh, yes. I was actually looking at his TV monitor in the background to see if he peeled any plastic off of it. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, you were just looking at the tabs on his web browser. Admit it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, moving on to upcoming events. We got a lot to get through, but we've talked about a lot already this year. We're going to have Alex rip through them for some recaps to make sure you get these dates in your calendar. Alex, what you got? Yep, there's guys that asked me. When was this? So upcoming is uh, the things we've already talked about. April 18th to the 21st is the Ranch Heli Beaters Fun Fly in Livermore, California. March 14th to the 17th, we have the Amps Heli Smack Fest in Miami, Florida. And May 2nd through May 5th, uh, Spring Fling in uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. And Palomar, uh, the Palomar RC Flyers Club, who... Uh, if you haven't been there, has a fantastic flying site that has been jeopardized. And for years, they've been saying this is our last one. Is having their last one. So an amazing venue. Unfortunately, it will be the same week as a spring fling, uh, May 2nd through the 5th. But it's on the other coast. Please check out one of those events coming up. They're both fantastic venues and will be a great time. 
Also, there's RCHO kick, uh, Chill Out kicks off the Fun Fly season in the U.S. on February 23rd to 25th in Nightdale, North Carolina. This unique Fun Fly features two flight stations flying into the wee hours of the night or into various other objects and is well known for its hospitality and shenanigans. <laughs> I've yet to be to the, uh, the Chill Out. I went to the fall pool, but... I knew you'd been, but I didn't know which one you went to. Any of yeah, us going to the chill out like this to see year? The weather. <laughs> yeah, there's that. I may. Are you thinking about going? Possibly. I'm just going to like wait until maybe a week or two before to kind of, you know, here next few see weeks. See if check it's out freezing. <laughs> yeah, it's coming <laughs> yeah. up, but. Yeah. Well, you can always chill out there. Yeah. yeah. They have fire pits and they have like a box, you know, you can stand there and warm your hands as you're flying because it's kind of built with a. I think they use the propane heaters sometimes up there where you're standing at the flight station too. So you don't really freeze. So it's kind of cool, but it's cold outside in general. I mean, just depends on night if you want to be out there, but it's a good time. All right. Winter bash, the event that three out of the four of us hit last year and highly recommended. You can check out our episode on it a few episodes back, uh, but they've set dates for 2024. If you want to get them in your calendar for December, they'll be at the torches field just outside of Orlando on December 6th, 7th and 8th. On to some scale stuff. So we have the Southern Scale Helicopter Challenge, which is one of the largest scale helicopter events in the U.S., um, has announced its dates for this year. Um, this one is run by a longtime scale heli pilot, Daryl Sprayberry, and his assistant pilot dog, Molly. <laughs> Wherever you see Daryl, you see Molly. So you'll see the two together. So it's pretty cool. But, uh, but this one will be uh, September 4th through the 7th in Hinesville, Georgia. So be sure to... Um, listen out for that and more scale events throughout the year. So scale's taking off, man. I mean, it's going to be pretty big. So looking forward to that one. Other. So we got Michael Rosnick um, reached out to us to tell us about the fourth annual one day heli fun fly at the Golden Triangle RC Club in Grand Prairie, Texas on April 6th. So you guys want to get there a day early so you can take advantage of this full one day event. Um, it is open to all helicopter types except the turbine. They're going to have a buddy box system set up out there. So anyone wants to try out um, RC helicopters, please, uh, you know, for those existing pilots, please tell your friends that want to try it out to come and give it a shot um, and, and, you know, connect on one of these buddy boxes. They're going to have four to five different flight stations for you guys, which sounds like plenty. Uh, pilot registration will be $25 and there will be lunch serving pizza. So be able to check that out. The power is limited. Um, there will be a generator there to kind of um, connect some outlets in, in the pit area, but I would uh, recommend folks to bring their, their generators as well. Um, and then finally, there will be a prize raffle um, that will be held here as well. So Check that out. Mike Rosnick and his one day helicopter fun fly event. All right. That wraps it up for the news and our event portion. Again, if you've got fun fly dates coming out this year, uh, hit me up via email at nick at rotorevolution.live or via messenger to our Facebook page. And uh, we're happy to shout it or better yet, let you shout it out. Uh, with that, that's, uh, that's all we got for the news this week. All right, this week's main topic. So 
This is one of those main topics that we'll probably cover a few times over the, the course of the podcast here. We're going to share some build tips and tricks. By no means is this a comprehensive list of build tips and tricks. By every means, this is your opportunity to email us in your tips and tricks, and we'll feature you on the show in a future episode. Uh, but we're just going to share some random, in no particular order, uh, just build tips and tricks. We thought it'd be kind of a fun topic to just hit on a few things uh, and, and uh, share some of our favorite methodologies. I'm sure as soon as any of us say something out loud, you're quickly going to find either a differing opinion or a differing method. Um, no one anything is right before you send us an email to shout and tell us that we're wrong. Remember, there are far more than one way to do anything in this hobby. So uh, no, not. there's give, only my way. Yeah, nope. Nope. <laughs> 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 All right, so Alex, first first up for the hate mail, what what do you got for build tips here? Well, uh, you know, you hear people asking or talking about their tail belt tension, and like Saab came out with that cool. If you've ever built a Saab kit, it comes with a thing to help you tighten your belt. But I've literally never used that thing, so this is actually super easy. And if you assemble your helicopter, I'm talking about really, I'm talking about the newer styles where. There's no boom supports. And so when you slide the boom into the frame, it moves pretty freely back and forth while it's loose. I just, if you just grab the boom and pick the whole helicopter up by the boom, that's pretty much the right weight for me to tighten the belt up. And you just screw those two screws in that clamp down onto the boom right there Drop while you're it holding like the a helicopter. Hot method. Yes, absolutely. So, question for you on this though if it's an fsab helicopter or maybe a, a dynamic with a belt tensioner not dynamic uh, advance um yeah. do you use that 3d printing thing on the sab that pulls the pulley the the tensioner pulley to the side and use this method or do you engage the tensioner and then hang it by the boom so on the sab model you're talking about the little red dial indicate indicator thing that sticks out the frame mm -hmm. is that what you're talking about no, oh, like on the raw no. 700, there's no, that 3D printed No, I do not use that 3D that... printed part. No, you just let the okay. tensioner do its work. So let holding. the tensioner do its thing and hang it by the boom. Cool. And if you like a tighter belt, then put the battery in it and then hold the model up like that. And it just makes the belt a little bit tighter. Makes it pretty I easy. like this tip. In fact, I was reading the Goose Guy RS4 manual last night uh, as I was finishing it up. And I got to the portion on tail bent tension. And the manual essentially says pull it this way to make it tight, move it this way to make it loose. Don't make it too tight. Don't make it too loose. And I feel like every manual is guilty of that. There's no absolutely great indication on how to tension your tailbone. So I like your method a lot. I think that's a great way that you can communicate to other people. Um, just to I mean, base when I value, built my hang it by the hundred, I did the same thing. I just hung it with the battery in it because that thing was so light to make the belt tension. Well, and I if I ever go to the field too. and I notice the, the belt's loose, I do it right there at the field, loosen those two bolts up. If it's on a Tron or another machine where the screws that hold the boom on are not going into nylon nuts, then I take them all the way out, put a little Loctite on them, put them back in there, hold the boom, let the thing hang and screw them back in while I'm holding it in the air. And then you don't have to have like someone holding the other end of it while you're doing this. Or some ridiculous deal where you're putting your feet on some part of the frame yeah. and pulling the tail yeah, towards you. and Guilty. Yeah, I used I to do like it on the SAB models, but then like, you know, the older models, the original SAB models, you kind of pull them really hard because of the tensioner. So then after a while, you kind of get that method where you pulled back on one side, you know, the two different side halves on the tail box. 
and you'd snug it and then pull the other side back. Then yeah, snug this it definitely doesn't work with like back. a Kraken or that style thing. Yeah. 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 And you I'm going to ask you too, backwards. you know, d- d- depending on like your flight discipline, right? I mean, I, you know, doing F3C, I do a lot of auto rotations too. So I don't like a tight belt that really kills a lot of my energy. So I, I, I have take the battery it fairly loose. Yeah. Yeah. I have it fairly loose when I, uh, or don't eat lunch. Or don't eat lunch. <laughs> 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 uh, I feel like that's the greatest kept secret in this hobby. You don't need to run a lot of belt tension unless you're an advanced three three D pilot doing a ton of reversals. Like, I don't need to run a lot of belt tension. Alex certainly needs to run more than I do because he flies harder than I do. Same for Kenny, but um, you don't have to tighten the crap out of your tail belts. I like that method a lot, Alex. That's a good tip. All right, Alex, what else you got? Well, I was at the field working on a buddy's model who had just built a, a new, this was, I'm working on a Goblin 500. And I noticed his, we have the same electronics, same setup, but his tail gain was just so much lower than mine. And I pulled the ball link off the bottom and felt the tail and it's just, you know, super tight. So if your tail's not smooth, you're not able to get as high a gain electronically as you want to. And what I noticed was, you know, you kind of go through taking things one, one, taking things apart one thing at a time, trying to figure out what's causing the resistance. And when you're, if I feel like most people know this, unless you haven't built many models. So specifically on the tails, like on an SAB where you're putting screws through the linkages that go to the, uh, the pitch link on the tail that moves the, the blade grip. You don't want to put the Loctite on there and then slide it through all that stuff. It gums up in there and that stuff does not move freely at all. So just get a toothpick or if you're, if you're, if you're building on your bench, maybe you have a exacto knife or something like that. You can put just a dab of Loctite on that exacto knife and stick it down inside the receiving end of where that screw is going and just put a little Loctite in there. And then when you screw the screw in, it locks up. So, yeah, it's a great tip. Don't gunk your stuff up by pushing Loctite through everything. You stole my tip. You. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's a different variation. And maybe you typed yours first, but uh, but I was going to talk also about Loctite and how to apply it the right way. Um, Oh, yeah. Look at that. Touching on yours as well. uh, My favorite tip on that same method is. Uh, I use an awl, which is basically a metal pokey stick. And if you've ever watched one of my build videos, I talk about these things all the time because I really love this stupid little tool. Uh, They only cost a couple of bucks on Amazon, but uh, you can literally just dip the tip of this metal pokey stick. So basically a metal toothpick in the Loctite. What is this metal pokey stick called? An awl, Uh, Mm A-W-L. And then you can literally put it right in the receiving threads of whatever the screw is going to pass through where you don't want Loctite on anything else. But, but yeah, so, you know, this comes in handy whether you're doing, you know, uh, a screw that passes through the bearings on a follower arm. If you Loctite the hell out of that whole screw, that Loctite's going to spin in into those bearings potentially and just get in all the wrong places. So just be mindful of every screw that you put Loctite on and where you're putting that Loctite. If it's going through an idler pulley, a follower arm pulley, if it's going through a pulley, anytime any screw gets anywhere near a, a pulley or a bearing, uh, you need to pause and spend a minute to think about where do I need the Loctite and where do I not want the Loctite? So 
and where might it drip through with gravity while I'm building it before it cures, you know, all that stuff. So just think about where you want it and where you don't. Like Alex says, it's really important to to not get a ton and keep paper towel or tissues around. So when you put that uh, set screw in on the tail pulley and the Loctite oozes out the top, like dab it away with paper towel. Don't let that hang out there um, yeah, because exactly. it could, you know, if you're running or doing setup that same night, you know, it can spin into the bearings or get in all kinds of places uh, where you don't want it. But even though you stole my tech tip um, before, before I got more, <laughs> but wait, there's Ooh, more. You got? Actually, before but you wait, finalize this Loctite. Yeah. My extra tip that I just actually figured out on my own last night when I was doing my stuff, I'm like, Oh, this is a kind of something to mention. So you're talking about the same thing. You get the Loctite dropped into, you know, along the shafts where the grub screw goes to the pulley. So I had that issue too. I've had that on um, two different models. You know, you have, the Tron sometimes has that on the, the tail pulley when you're trying to get it back off later. You might have a little bit that got in there and it's hard to spin the pulley. Um, I've had it on SAB, all of them, just because when you put the Loctite through there, it just, you know, ha- it just naturally goes into the, the tail shaft. Yep. So using that theory, you know, that you have Loctite that's hardened in there and you can't get it out and you don't really want to put pliers on the pulley and destroy it or anything else. What I did is I take the, the grub screw out and then I drop a good amount of Loctite down in that hole. Uh, and then I run the grub screw back in about halfway to push the Loctite down into there on purpose. Um, just using the theory that, you know, if you use a hardened liquid and you put a, another liquid back in there, it's going to liquefy the original Loctite back to water, you know, so you can spin it. So I put the grub screw back in halfway, then put the Allen driver in there and you put your thumb really close up to the Allen driver on the pulley and you can grab the tail grips and you can spin the pulley three or four times back and forth and pull a little bit when you're spinning it. And it'll actually liquefy the uh, Loctite back up so you can get your tail shaft off easier without banging or beating on it. Nice. Nice. Yeah, very and nice. it seems to work. Nice. Well, let me ask you guys this one question about Loctite, right? So how, how much Loctite do you apply to the thread? See, me a rule of thumb is I only apply where I can see about maybe two to three treads of the screw that I apply it to. And that's all. That's all it takes for me. I've never had a screw come out. I don't over Loctite any of my screws. I just put a tiny bit on there, to, enough to cover up about, like I said, two or three treads on it. Here, here's my theory on that. Uh, and this I stole from that same French guy. I watched that first build video when I built my first kit ages ago. I like to dip that screw in a big old puddle of Loctite, uh, which gets way too much Loctite on it. But then the very next thing I do, I've got the screw in a driver when I dip it, is I take the screw and I rest it against the tip of one of my fingers, and I will turn the screw with the driver and remove as much of the Loctite as I can on my finger. What this is also doing is it's pushing the Loctite into the threads of the screw instead of leaving it in a giant sort of bubble on the end of the screw. And then I'll usually take my finger and just wipe it on a paper towel or a rag I keep on my workbench. And then I'll drive the screw in. So what actually goes in is the screw with a very thin coating of Loctite on a majority of the threads. Well, it depends on what it's going into as to how much of the threads I want to cover. And I do this because I watched this video a long time ago, and it was with bigger bolts, but it was a gentleman demonstrating different techniques for applying Loctite. And he would just sort of put a few dabs on. And I don't remember what technology he used to show how much the Loctite penetrated. But if you just put a big old dip on the end and screw the screw in, a lot of that Loctite actually gets pushed out and pushes back out the way the screw is going in and doesn't penetrate the threads and doesn't hold very well. Uh, so I feel like applying it thinly to all the threads and removing as much as you can with your fingertip works better than just dipping a ton in there. 
that's what I was going to mention. See, like there's a, if you get it more in depth into the actual what's going on there, like you said, if you got to judge it by the, the hole itself too, if the, the board that you're putting the screw into is really tight, that's when you want to actually apply for sure some Loctite into the threaded hole also, because you're shearing off all the Loctite as you thread it in. It's actually getting pushed back towards the bolt head and it's going to end up on bearings. that's pressing against or anything else and messing more stuff up and it's not going to be Loctited well. You definitely got to apply it inside the threads and then take off as much as you can off the bolt so that it's kind of 50, 50, like what's inside the threads is holding it and it matches up with what's on the bolt because it's so tight that, that it's actually going to get sheared off on its way in. If it's loose, you can just Loctite the bolt. I agree 100%. All right. I want to hit on some Loctite basics real fast. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but let's spend a little. So we're just going to talk about the different types of Loctite and where we use it. I think the one we'll spend the most time on here are going to be red and green. But blue Loctite goes where? Pretty much any basic metal-to-metal connection in your helicopter, especially where there's more than one screw achieving the same task. That's my rule. So if I have 10 screws holding the frame sides together, that's blue Loctite. If I have one screw holding something in, then I'm going to look to something a little stronger. But uh, where where do you guys use blue? Are any of you like blue everywhere kind of dudes? I just use blue on everything. I just make sure I put the right amount, but I haven't had any issues with just blue. Lately on my nitro and gas builds, I've been using more red but when I say I'm using red, I'm using a very minimal amount so that you can still break these screws loose. So if you're using red, you got to be pretty careful with it because you'll just start stripping stuff when you want to take it apart later. And the blue, you want to use like the oil resistant, like 243, something like that, where it yep. doesn't have yes. issues either. That way it's stronger. Yeah. If you, if you clean your screws thoroughly, then 242 is okay. But if you don't, 243 for sure. Yeah. Uh, what about red oil. Loctite? Brian, how do you feel about red Loctite? I put that beep on everything. <laughs> how many how many Allen wrenches do you buy per year? <laughs> exactly. well, see, that's why I said I only use just a very minimal amount on there. I mean, yeah, you're talking about minimal, like what you said, two, all two of, or three. All threads. of Brian's Allen wrenches turned yeah. into ball drivers. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I will say this though. I've used blue. Like on some of the frame screws, I use blue. They tend to not come loose now. Where it counts the most for me with red are um, a lot of those set screws that you put in, especially in the tail. Um, no way, dude. Sure you can use red on those set screws. You're never getting those out. Oh, I always do, though. I no, on, the, on those, I still use blue even on my nitro Ooh, and gas no. builds. Now, I've yeah, seen never too many come loose. come loose. And I won't mm-hmm. mention the manufacturer, but at the field, we've seen uh, one of our pilots that we've seen put blue on the set screw come loose several times so we all made a conscious decision then uh, okay we're going to put red on everything especially the set screw so if we've done that and haven't had any problems since you know putting them in or getting them out so i mean my rule of thumb on red is if there's a single point of failure meaning it's one screw into something critical so you know the little arm that sticks out of your um tail case that holds the bell crank for the tail That's often one screw in some helicopters, and I always put red on that, but I use it sparingly. And I always, I know what those screws are, so when I need to remove them, I use heat. I'll put a soldering iron on the head of the screw, or I'll use a little blowtorch, depending. And Yeah, uh, as long as you can remember what screws you did that on. Yeah, Yeah. but if you use the same methodology, you always use red in these situations, then you know what kind of Loctate's on there, and you know when to lose heat. But if you're the kind of person that will try and do field repairs, then that becomes less than ideal. So blue might be the better choice. But 
I think what you're going to learn here as we go through some of these things is that there's, again, more than one way to do it. So these aren't hard and fast rules. I think, in fact, our goal is to show you there's more than one way to do it. Um, right. uh, and speaking of that, another controversial controversial thing is green Loctite, which is really what's called bearing retaining compound. Uh, does anybody here use green Loctite? And what are the rules where you do? I, I only use it on the motor. Um, the pin, it slides down into the the bearing itself, you want to make sure that that pinion and bearing has a tight grip. The only problem is when you're trying to take that thing off, you're going to lose the bearing. So you might as well just replace it. But it's important to make sure that when the pinion sits down inside of that pinion like or the bearing like that, that it has a tight connection to that bearing. It's not slipping in there. So that's where I use it. I have a green light Loctite story. Like uh, one of my YS96s had the um, counterweights, the one with the two or three weights on the flyweight or the crankshaft and they were loose. They were literally falling out of the motor, you know, inside. So I took it apart and cleaned it, you know, just cleaned off with some brake cleaner alcohol. And, um, I used the green Loctite inside there to hold the counterweights back into the crankshaft. And they've been there ever since. I mean, that stuff holds up to heat and oil and grease, and it looks like it never moved. You can still see the green Loctite holding the counterweights in there. So you could get away with a lot of stuff with that. Yeah. If you want something to not come apart, green Loctite is your thing. So, <laughs> which reminds me actually back to red Loctite. So I also use rec like red Loctite on things where I know if I replace something, it comes with all the parts. So a good example of this is a blade grip arm, right? So when you order a replacement blade grip arm, it often comes with the blade grip arm and the ball that screws into it. They all come as part of that spare part. So when I know that, I will put red Loctite on the ball that goes into uh, the arm because I know I'm going to get a new one when I order a new one anyway. So um, that's my rolling red. But back to green, uh, I feel like it depends on the manufacturer. So some manufacturers, the fit between bearings and retain, you know, bearing retaining blocks or bearing blocks, uh, the fit between the bearings and a follower arm you know, some manufacturers get the tolerances better than others. And if I feel like a bearing and the surface it contacts aren't a tight enough fit, what that means is that the outer or inner surface of the bearing, depending on where it's going, or both, may not make proper contact, which means they'll spin with the shaft that's spinning, and it can very quickly wear out the bearing. Uh, so in the situation where a bearing feels really loose to me, I'll use green Loctite to hold it in and I use a tiny amount. I use the all to dip in the green Loctite and kind of rub it around the surface to get a really thin layer and then press the bearing into that. Um, I don't think you necessarily, you know, again, just depends on the manufacturer and the tolerances. If the bearing doesn't feel do like a super tight fit, then I always arms do too. Yeah, yeah I follow do arms. If I can push the bolt through there and push the bearing back out, then they're all coming out. Yeah. They're all getting green Loctite in. Yep, 100%. It keeps um, those follow-ups from rocking back and forth, too, with the extra slop that would be there. Yeah. I think it just it just makes for, do you have to do it? No. Are there people that don't do it and enjoy their helicopters? Yes. But is it a little thing that can make, you know, small things a little bit better? 100%. They enjoy their uh, variable-phased helicopters. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, orange Permatex thread locker. Am I the only one who's played with that so far? I still haven't messed with it. So far, so good on my raw 580 Nitro. I need more flights on it, but super impressed. It's an all-purpose Loctite that has like close to the hold strength of red, but has the bolt-breaking ability of blue. Uh, a lot of folks are big fans of orange. It's oil-resistant as well, so you don't have to clean your bolts like crazy, like 243. So uh, 
I'm an initial fan of Orange, but I'll report back. All right. Sorry. Didn't mean to, to spend too much time on Loctite. Kenny, what do you got? A story on Loctite. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so this one's on squaring main shafts and uh, frames uh, during the build. So do you need a flat surface as in the past we were preached to about, you know, you need to sit it on a flat table or a solid table. And I, I think that's unnecessary today because of the <gasps> tight fit of all the parts. Uh Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would suggest it like usually with the tolerance of being tight. I would suggest if you run the main shaft through and there is any resistance, like if it's not just dropping right through the, the main bearing, you know, for the, the shaft and the, the, you know, like the lower, uh, all three bearings basically if it doesn't go through the whole thing straight then yeah you'd want to loosen those bearing blocks and maybe move them around a little bit and then recenter them but most of the frame parts align left to right like your lower and upper frames there's not much tolerance movement in the frame to the bolts so i don't really feel the need to do it what do you guys think blasphemy other than yeah, still do it. <laughs> i mean not on a on an sab model sure but on like the tron or something like that i still square it all up I mean, I leave it on a table, but I don't necessarily make sure it's perfectly square. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't take it over to glass it. or whatever. Sure. Oh, I do. I take it over to glass because I feel like the the build mats we all use are very spongy and not necessarily, you know, level. I'm building mine on not a build mat. It's like the whatever, the cutting board, the green cutting board with the lines on it. I mean, it's true, right? The a lot, modern helicopters, the... The tolerances get better and better and better. So parts, as you tighten the screws, kind of self-align. The RS4 is a good example of that. You know, that thing, I don't think you can screw up if you tried. But on a bigger helicopter with upper and lower frames, I don't know. I always, I use a tempered glass shelf, which the nice thing about that is it means all the edges have been treated. So you won't cut your finger on them. Uh, And they're really easy to order off Amazon. So you don't need a very big one, but they're handy and easy to throw on your workbench. But. I think I, I think this is one of those on things where we're all right. Uh, modern helicopters, for sure, are getting better and better. Tolerances are less, but you get that one heli where things are off, and you can save yourself from frustration by just making sure it's squared up on glass. I don't know. That's my thought. I'm not saying you're wrong, Kenny, but I I, I disagree oh, yeah. with you on that one. It's definitely. I mean, it's. I just think to me, I when I if I can get the main shaft smooth and it's spinning good, that's, that's pretty it. much all I'm yeah. worried about at that point. But if it's the frame you're worried about, you can definitely square it up by laying it on a flat surface and just eyeballing and, you know, loosen and re-snug your bolts to make sure it's squared up good. No, but I agree. That test of dropping the main shaft and seeing if there's friction and messing around with things until there isn't and it pretty much falls straight through uh, is a good idea. Got a tail shaft drag tip. So um, I've had this on the Spectre and a couple other models, just depending on the arm geometry and stuff. Sometimes you put your slider on, you know, and put the pins in the slider with your um, arm and then you push it back and forth and mechanically you can feel some friction between the brass slider and the actual tail shaft. So I usually take like a piece of sandpaper or you can use a little piece of Brillo, just really fine grit, 600 to a thousand or something and just spin it in the small area where the brass slider has to move back and forth. Just a few spins, you know, five or six spins in a circle is all it needs to just give you that tiny little bit of extra, um, polished smoothness to the to the tail shaft and then you know wipe that off blow it off whatever you need to do and then put a little bit of grease on it just a tiny bit and it totally frees up the tail because i've had a few times where that was necessary because you didn't really tell until you put it together and you're moving the servo arm and you can tell there's like your servo's making a noise when it you know comes in towards the tail box or something like that where you can tell there's a little bit of friction on the just the geometry of it yeah that's a good tip 
Yeah, I feel like if the pitch slider is ever dragging or doesn't feel really smooth on the tail shaft, once you add that, the first thing I do is take the tail shaft out, chuck it in a drill, just like one end of it, just barely in, in the chuck of a drill, and then spin it with super high, uh, like a thousand grit sandpaper, you know, a polish. Yeah, it's usually sandpaper. so small, even rubbing compound would probably do it. Just something you can just polish it smooth and then wipe it back off. And it's usually a tiny amount of friction. It's not it's it's more felt but than it really is an actual interference issue. You know what I mean? It's just from the tolerance of the parts. It makes a difference, I was though. Say, it definitely does. Things know, slide better. You, absolutely. You want that thing to slide smooth because if you have any play, any kind of um, resistance on it, rather, that'll affect your gyro, right? Your gyro is trying to correct you and hold that tail steady for you. And if it's having a hard time resisting on that shaft like that. Yeah, it might be sticking. Absolutely. People, oh, mechanically. And the other thing up, is no. you want to do this test. You want to do this test with no push rod on there also. So you don't have that even in the uh, equation too. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good yeah, that's anything I'm sure we, we all agree on with tails. It's check it at every single point. So as soon as you get the, the grip arms on the uh, tail feathering shaft, check those. When you add the pitch slider, check that. When you add the bell crank, check that, you know, check it, check everything you can before you add the push rod. Uh, and then again, check it just from the push rod before you connect it to the servo. Make sure everything's smooth. Yeah, if it's sliding free with the arm on on the rear slider and you pulled the rod off, then it's something to do with your tail guide in the middle of the boom or something else up front. All right, Kenny, I know you got a bunch. Let's just keep firing through these. These are good stuff. Tiny tip, uh, greasing the uh, grip thrust bearings for your blade grip. So, you know, I'm putting them in and I usually, it depends on what you use. If you have a tub of grease or if you use even like a tube, I use like um, the Super Lube, which has got like a quarter inch tip on it. So you can squeeze out just a small amount that you need. So instead of doing it with your fingers, I mean, some people will use maybe a wrench. I just take the squeeze a little bit on the, you know, the tip of the tube and you just take the open end of the thrust bearing, you know, the uncaged open part and you just scrape it through the bearing, you know, so it's just packing itself basically to spin it, pack it and do it three or four times and then just spin it in your fingers and it's ready to go. So you don't have to sit there and, you know, do a whole bunch of extra work just to pack the grease into there. Basically simple thing. Do you guys do anything like that or? I'm terrible. I get grease all over me. I'm the last person. <laughs> I, I, I do I, the tube. I use. I, I still use like the TriFlow clear grease out of that tube. Squeeze the tube, squeeze and then I, and then I, yeah, I like squeeze, hold the bearing. It's just coming out of the tube and right around. So I end up with a little bit on my hands, but it's not like it's just freaking everywhere. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's all it's all over my fingers. It's all over whatever driver I stack the bearings on, getting ready to like slide it into the blade grip. It's on my bench. I like to get grease everywhere. Got a Tron specific or kind of similar. I mean, it could be on any model. So this is um, like on the Tron, you have the the aluminum guide rings, they're called, that go on the upper and lower part of the tail auto rotation gears. And you're threading those into Delrin. And in the manual, it tells you to Loctite it. But you're, you know, if you ever think it like I was doing in the beginning, like, why am I, you know, why would you Loctite this little stainless bolt into a piece of plastic, you know? But what it does is it's not going to harden if you just run it into the Delrin, but as the stainless touches the aluminum ring, it hardens on the edge of the tapered bore. So you want it to at least get the Loctite. Like I don't even put it on the threads because it doesn't matter really. It will harden there, but you want it mainly to make sure you get it on the V shape of the tapered head as you're running that in, because it's going to harden to the counter bore V shape and it actually Loctites the screw head to the aluminum ring. If you know what I'm saying? So that it can't spin. I've built a Tron and I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. Like like the little um, stainless bolts that go into those 
auto rotation gears. You know, you put them on the top yeah. and bottom when you have to run those that in. That metal ring um, that goes around the gear on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. When they first came out, some people were actually having those fall out. Like they just didn't snug them enough. And the Loctite does work. I mean, if you don't put it in there, they can back out. And if the Loctite's in there, it will harden to the aluminum and holds the head, even though it's not theoretically fully Loctited into the Delrin, which it may or may not, depending on how the chemical reaction goes on with that. But just from my experience, yeah, if you Loctite it, it's for sure better than not Loctiting it, even if you're going into plastic, as long as the, the bolt is touching either carbon or metal where it's going to create the reaction. Okay, interesting. Does anybody else, speaking of metal going into plastic, uh, which is where you don't want to use Loctite, does anybody in some applications drip a little CA in before they put a screw into plastic? I have not been doing that. I have not done that neither, no. Oh, I've done me. that on airplane models in the past. I do it sometimes when there's like a ball link uh, or like a ball end going into a servo arm that's plastic and I, and there's no nut. I might put a little mm. drip of CA in there and I then I put a, a drip of CA on the end of the threads as well. Yeah. Like if I, I had yeah. to rethread that, right, I would do that. But like the first time I would thread a, a metal uh, ball link like that into one of those plastic arms, it just kind of you know, makes the thread as it goes through. Right. And so I just kind of stop it when it hits instead of, you know, over tightening it or whatever. And it should hold, but if I got to pull it out and put another one in there, then yeah, I probably yeah. use a drop of CA. Yeah, I could see that. One of the, the, my favorite tools that I purchased after watching that Nick Maxwell behind the build video or filming it, uh, was I keep taps on my workbench. So I'll often use a tap in a plastic piece that hasn't been threaded mm-hmm. yet. To thread That's it, and idea. then I'll put a drop of CA in it, and then I'll push it in. Um, and I don't know. None of those have let go for me, so I, I haven't done hundreds of them, but so far, so good. So I got a um, tail rod build tip. It's uh, not going to apply to probably people with like a Spectre 700 because of the, you know, nut locking system that they have. But I mean, for I used to build tail rods like the old school way, you know, take... You know, you just slide the steel rod into the tail in the center of the carbon and then wrap it with like twine or thread and then drop CA on it. You know, that's the old school way. It, it works still if you got to do it that way. But with these modern ones, you have the aluminum sleeve with threads on it and you slip it over the end. So you check the length. You know, the best thing you do when you build it, check the overall length. You know, you want to um, line up both front and tail, you know, your servo arm in the front, line the tail servo arm on your slider back. It'll probably show a picture of that in the manual showing which arm or which piece of the arm should be directly at 90 degrees to the um, tail boom and and then take your actual rod, you know, put the slide, the pieces in the end of each one. And I usually try to do this with the plastic links already attached to the dimension that they show. Like if it's 10 or 12 millimeters, you know, thread sticking out, just get it close. And then you want the, you want, you want the rod to be able to just hold it up on the ball links and then be able to look at the tail grips when it's all, you know, you don't have to totally connect it. You can just touch the the ball links to the pla- to the actual ball links, you know, touch the actual link to the ball and make sure that it's mm-hmm. the right distance just by eyeballing without having to snap them on and pull them back off. Oh, yeah. And you, the correct way would be, I mean, people can argue zero degrees, but three degrees already compensates for any drift at a certain slow amount of throttle, which kind of helps keep the gyro from fighting any issues. It's the most solid way to set them up. Um. Once you get the correct length, then you want to take, I mean, if you had to cut the carbon, whatever you have to do, you know, you want to slice off a little bit if you need to, which sometimes you have to, sometimes you don't. And the correct length is achieved, then remove the sleeves on the end and apply the glue of your choice, which I I don't do what most people do. I actually just drop a drop of CA into the center of the carbon 
tube, a couple drops on the outside, and then I put a drop inside the metal sleeve itself too. And then I spin it on there just a couple times and let it harden or spray harder on it and just do both ends that way. And I'll let them set overnight anyway. And they've always held. Hmm. Some people I are also epoxy just CA. I don't use epoxy or oh, JB yeah. Weld. Oh, CA works CA great as well. Yeah. Oh, Bob Smith even on my epoxy. I swear by it. Even yeah, on my gasser, I'm using, just, I'm using CA and it's fine. Yeah. I just like how it's quicker and stuff to get it done. Basically. Brian, this brings me to a question. So the tail pushrod for the Goose Guy RS4, it just has compression fittings that go over each end of the pull, the pushrod. That's it. But I couldn't yep. contain myself. I put a drop of CA under the compression fitting and then compressed it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I double always, compressed. It's not going. Yeah, exactly. I always scuff the ends of my tail pushrod before I apply any adhesive. So take a piece that of sandpaper, too, yep. run the pushrod through it, scuff it up because... Anytime you put adhesive on a smooth surface, it doesn't do a very good job of grabbing. So you got to scuff it, get some scoring on that push rod, and then uh, it'll help the epoxy, CA, whatever you use. It'll help it hold a lot better. Yeah, same thing. I spin mine, just spin them a couple times on my on my uh, finger, like spin the rod and piece of sandpaper. Yep, me too. Um, it works great. Uh, it's funny. I tend not to measure the whole push rod but i have many times had to get out a dremel cutoff wheel and cut the portion of threaded rod a little shorter because whatever yeah, the had carbon rod they give you is too long uh yep and so, you measure so don't be exactly afraid to, do that. to the millimeters they said yeah and yeah exactly you measure it right and then you try and get both arms at 90 degrees and you're like this rod is way too long and i can't yeah, we're on down the CA the anymore i got another one for like i do that kind of scratching method on the um, magnets for the um clutch on a nitro too i'll scratch them up a little bit with like a razor blade you can use sandpaper too to scuff the the outer two when you got them stuck together whichever ones are going to be stuck down into the actual clutch and then i use ca on that but the key to the ca if you're doing it that way which i've been doing forever with different glues and if they get hot the clutch might shoot the magnet off anyway but if you put ca in there you don't need a lot down in it just a regular drop just small small amount and then when you push it down in there put another drop of ca a larger drop over top of the whole magnet to where it actually makes like a you know a pea-sized circle around the magnet and that actually helps it adhere to the top of the aluminum and then you usually don't lose any magnets cool good kind of like a flat flat glue surface over it if you know what i mean speaking of which we're gonna have to do a nitro specific tips episode at some point but all right moving on from there we don't often cover religion on the show but uh, in this case we're going to make an exception so jesus bolts do we need them <laughs> There's a Jesus bolt story from this uh, just just over the weekend. So, hallelujah, uh, <laughs> guy at my my field. One of the guys we fly with, you know, he builds stuff good and everything, no issues usually. But um, he got the new uh, the Tron ninety built, and, and he's going out wanting to maiden that. And I was going out to test my stuff that I had just repaired, and we went over this helicopter, you know, just looking at stuff normal, you know, checking everything, and. Um, we we redid like the tail rod length a little bit, some little stuff just to make sure it was all good to go. And he decided to go ahead and fly it, you know, no canopy the first time. He didn't want to tear anything up. And we go ahead and take it up, you know, and fly maybe two minutes and gets to where, you know, he's doing flipping and TikToks a little bit here and there just kind of testing it out. And he's like, ah, how, I don't really fly with the canopy, you know. So he lands and he was going to put the canopy on, but he still needed to lock tight the little um, uh, retaining clips, you know, on the canopy itself so we were like okay we won't use the canopy then he was just going to go ahead and take off a second time and so when, when we go to take off the second time 
all we have is the main gear spinning full speed. The blades are just sitting there. <laughs> and we're like, okay, something's something's wrong. So we uh, step out there to look at it, you know, and shut it off. And I'm like, did you like, did you for, did you forget the nylon, like the lock nut on there? And, and at first he's like, oh, I think I put, he's like, uh, no, he's like, I had, I must've forgot it. Like he just, I guess he assembled it and slipped the bolt in there <laughs> and just left the nut off. Cause he was doing something else, you know? And <laughs> cause you, you probably wouldn't notice it. I guess if you stuck it in there and didn't tighten the nut down, you know? Oh, so man. somehow Jesus was looking after him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> because he made it through like a two minute TikToking flipping flight and then landed. And I guess it must've ejected right as he came down to land. Wow. Wow. Because he got luckier than you can get, you know? <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. It lives to see another day. That was, it was kind of crazy. We were just like, wow, how did that make it that long? Holy cow. So he's going to need a Jesus bolt. I feel like uh, when I'm doing a name. build and I have any of those moments where I'm like, I'll come back and do that later. I write it down. I keep either a notepad or I keep a list in my phone of like all the things I need to go back to. Cause every time I'm like, Oh, I'll Loctite that one thing later. I don't want to do it yet. So I don't write it down and it ends up with no Loctite on it and bad things. Yeah. And that's a bolt that, I mean, it couldn't have got like the nut couldn't have been there cause it's nylon. So it would have stayed, but it's just something you must've stuck in there and just forgot to actually throw the nut on there. Good thing. He Mm. was uh, lucky though. Yeah. It's got a free helicopter. How about that? Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> they use uh, one right, of its I, nine lives <laughs> <laughs> these are all some great tips i got one last question for you guys although it's a little bit of a multi-part shimming the tail so when do i use shims around the tail pulley whenever the main sh- whenever the shaft that is going through the, sh- the the shaft i'm not talking about the feathering spindle that's on your tail right you're talking about the main shaft goes through the pulley that's on the tail that typically nowadays has a belt that goes around the pulley. If you can move that tail shaft in and out and there's just a little bit of play, that's when you shim it up a little bit so that there's no play, but you don't want to make it tight either. Yeah. It needs to yeah, spin. Some freely, models have one or two, right? Like separate in a baggie for that. Yep. Yeah. The Tron is pretty, has some unique stuff about it that you don't have to have a shim because you can just separate these two screws and tighten them down and there is no play. Yeah, the sliding collar is nice. It kind of prevents really that cool. from ever happening. Right. Yeah. That makes um, sense. And and that's something too. So most modern helicopter kits will come with shims for various stages, whether it's for the main gear or the tail pulley or in the main rotor head. And save those. Uh, save them for future builds. Even if you don't use them on that helicopter, just put all of your spacers in one spot and then inevitably you'll find a heli build at some point where there's too much play in something and you can go into your stash of, uh, of spacers. And, uh, I've had to do the same thing. <laughs> you'll, you'll have a nice stash use. of shims that you can use it. Um, and there's so many different sizes of shafts that, uh, uh it's handy if you get, if you build up a good supply of, of these spacers. It is. I don't throw those spare bags away. No, never. All right. This one actually comes from a listener question. I want to throw your way that I think will translate well into a build tip. <laughs> So this listener question came from a gentleman named Harry Porter. Now, part of me is scared to say that out loud on the show because I'm like, is that your real name? Harry Porter, really? I don't know. I think it is. I think it's legit. But anyway, Harry Porter messaged us to ask us about how do you remove bearings in tricky spots like bearing blocks or blade grips when they've been held in with bearing retainer, uh, commonly referred to as green Loctite. Anybody have any tips for Mm -hmm. Harry how to get those out? 
blowtorch. I mean, I've <laughs> if it's too bad, I've went to heat. Yeah, you don't have to use a lot of heat. I mean, you can just barely warm the grip or something like that if you've already got it off. Just where there's make sure there's no plastic or anything else around. Just slightly warm it, and then use something to to tap it out. Even if you take the feathering shaft and just slightly tilt it, and you know, hit it with a piece of wood, something simple that's not going to hurt anything. You just need to expand the outer diameter piece to let it slip out. I've put mine in the oven before. There you go. Yep. The oven's a good trick. Uh, having one of those small little uh, portable blowtorch type deals can let you get heat very precisely using a soldering iron and pressing it to various things can help you transfer heat to these places. But uh, even a heat gun can often loosen things up uh, well enough if you have a good heat gun. So uh, heat is your friend when it comes to getting those bearings to loosen up. Wasn't there a guy who was selling a cool tool to help pop the bearings out of SAB blade grips at one point? Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about because I bought one. Yeah, it was like you would heat it, you would heat it up, and then use this little threaded rod deal with something on it that would help you press the bearings out. But uh, a press can come in handy in this situation as well. So sometimes having a press, so you use heat, and then you find something that's the right sort of size. What you call it? Uh, the right size outer diameter, the same diameter as the bearing, and use that to help push things out. But but heat is the is the ultimate win here. All right. Anybody have any more build tips before we start to wrap things up here? I would say the final tip would be to just have some fun. <laughs> um, you know, I thought you were going to say have somebody look your you look your build over. <laughs> That's don't actually the best build tip. Have your three build people to look build. at it. <laughs> I would say depending on who you are, don't drink and build. How about that? <laughs> That's valid. All right. Well, we're going to start to wrap things up here, although we still have a little bit to get through here. Uh, but that's the end of this, uh, the main topic here. But we do have another listener question that I've been meaning to get to for a while, but we keep having these really long episodes. So I've been pushing that one off. All right. So this listener question comes from uh, Steve Medlin. And Steve writes in to ask us about a T-Rex 450 Pro he's owned for years. And it had Futaba S3156 cyclic servos. And one of them went bad. He since replaced one of the cyclic servos with an Align DS450 cyclic servo, but since doing so, it's become way too twitchy to fly, and he's wondering what, if anything, he can try. He's running those on a Futaba GY520 gyro and a Spectrum AR6000 receiver, and he wants to know what we think could be going on. Anybody have any thoughts here? I think the specs on the servos are different. So Yeah, he's using could- a different speed, yeah. probably, it looks like. Maybe that, yeah, the 450 is going to react a lot faster, but it must be an older Futaba that's slow and it's causing issues. He needs to match all three. Right. Yeah. What happens when you run non-matching sets of cyclic servos? I have never done that. Have you guys done that? I have not. I've always been told not to do it. (laughs) I mean, you're going to have one arm trailing the other arm, so it's going to fly crooked or do like he said. It might be the other one's twitchy because the one servo is so much faster than the other two. The other two can't keep up, you know, when it's trying to move. Yeah, I mean, the other factor is is that the DS450 is a high-voltage servo, and it's probably running at a lower BEC voltage that the older servos are used to, uh, and it may be responding slower. Either way, we've got differences in speed between servos, and in a perfect world, you really want all three of your cyclic servos to be the same. Uh, and that's what I think, Steve, your problem is. I think that's what we think your problem is, is that you really need three or at least specifications. There are people that have successfully run you know, different cyclic servos on the same helicopter, but they all are very similar specs in terms of torque and speed. So uh, the difference in spec between the old and the new servos, I think, is really what's going on here. 
And with that, uh, thanks for your question, Steve. All right. Should we give some shit away? I don't know. Give it away. I'll take it. You'll take it? You want another hat? I'll t- yeah, I want a hat. Yeah. If, only if it comes in a send-it box. In a send-it box. Oh, these will come in, in send-it box. boxes. Don't worry. Now that I know the hats fit in them, they will come in a, in a custom U.S. post office send-it box. Uh, with that... It's time to give away a couple of Rotor Revolution hats. So first, I really want to thank everybody that uh, participated and helped us get the word out. So we ran a contest here on the show to share the podcast in some form to get entered into this giveaway for a couple of hats. Uh, We've definitely, like I said at the beginning of the show, picked up a bunch of new listeners over the last few weeks. So uh, it definitely helped us do that. So I want to thank you all for your help. There were some great photos some written reviews, some postings around the interwebs. Um, so thanks genuinely from from all of us to all of you that participated and uh, helped us get the word out. All right. With that said, the winner is drawn completely by random from all of the entrants. So I threw them all in an Excel spreadsheet and ran a random number generator. And our two winners are Mr. Brent Ellis. Yay! So thanks for the fabulous... <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Cue that, that up awesome. again. I got it. one more. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for the uh, the fabulous written review you posted. So we greatly appreciate it. And congrats to you. And our second winner is Mr. Chris Rybert. Yay! No sound effect for Chris. No sound effect that time. Chris, I want to apologize on behalf of the rest of the crew for your lack oh, of sound effects. Hold on. Hold All on. Right, do it hold on. Do it hold on, Chris. Wait for it. It's coming. He promises. He's almost there. His mic's muted. His <laughs> mic's muted. <laughs> oh. Try it again. All right, one more time. And our second winner is Mr. Chris Rybert. <laughs> it was still ridiculous. That was terrible. I love it. Oh, Chris, thanks for sharing our episode post. Uh, We appreciate you helping out with the show. All right, so Brent and Chris, hit me up via email at nick at rotorevolution.live or on Facebook Messenger and send us an address. We'll go ahead and get those hats shipped out to you in the not-too-distant future. I do want to thank everybody for uh, helping us get the word out. And with that, that, uh, that wraps it up for this week's episode, unless anybody's got anything else. Kenny? Uh... One more thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> There's always uh, one more thing. <laughs> with that, Brian, it's good to have thing. you back with us. Thank uh, you. Good thanks back, again Phyllis. from all of yep. us for all the shares. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. That wraps it up for this episode. Got any uh, stuff for us, questions, messages, advertiser inquiries, hit us up at questions at rotorrevolution.live. I thought that was a circular Alex thought. Alex getting a, a lot of flights in, just like you said. <laughs> Right in the middle of the show. <laughs> Either that or he's cutting down an oak tree or something. <laughs> oh. Al- Alex, no flying for you between now and the uh. next episode. You've had enough. That was that wonderful <laughs> gasser during noise. The episode. <laughs> that was that wonderful gasser noise you've been waiting for. Oh, he's flying the gasser. Oh. Eee- I was about to say you're cutting down a tree over there or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was blowing the weeds, the, the, the leaves oh. away. Oh. <laughs> All right, we out. Thanks a lot, all. All right, guys. Peace.
This concludes this episode of the Rotor Revolution RC podcast. To learn more, stay in touch with the team, and to join the revolution, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast, or find us on the web at rotorrevolution.live. Help us spread the word and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. For listener questions, advertising inquiries, or to reach out to the entire team, email us at questions at rotorrevolution.live. Thanks for listening. That was a terrible intro. What am I, a strip club DJ? Um, Oh, ah. yes. Please enjoy this rotor replay. Next up on the stage is Brandy. Casey Kasem? No, next up on the stage is Sean K. (laughs) (laughs) This one coming to you from Johnny in Oklahoma. (laughs) 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 All right. Rotor replay.